0: Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. Carnivore and ketogenic diets can be an excellent way to combat diseases we commonly associate with aging and degeneration in the modern world. But if you're like me, you want to do everything possible to stay in your prime physically and mentally as long as you can, especially with me thinking about starting a family. I really value the most research back ingredients and science for bettering the aging process. Today's sponsor is Neurohacker, which packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic. And you can take it just two days a month for fast and noticeable benefits and for a much better aging process. I've been taking Qualia Senolytic for the last month, and I've already noticed a big improvement in my physical and mental energy for my family and friends, and my productivity has improved. I feel invigorated, I feel enthusiastic, and ready to get things done. It's also backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, so that means you can try it for almost three full months, and if you don't like it, there's no risk. You can decide for yourself. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com Scott for up to 50% off Qualia and as a listener of the show, you can use code Scott at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. Again, it's risk-free. Just go to neurohacker.com slash Scott to try Analytic with code Scott and start aging on your own terms. Thanks, and back to the show.
1: Sally Norton, MPH, is an expert in oxalates, a plant toxin found in many common quote-unquote health foods, such as spinach and almonds, that can cause many health disorders. Sally has a degree in nutrition from Cornell University and a Master's of Public Health from the University of North Carolina. She managed a five-year National Institute of Health-funded program at the UNC Medical School. I had the pleasure of meeting Sally at KetoFest this July in Connecticut, and she's as friendly, helpful, and excited as she is wise and ambitious. Welcome to the show, Sally.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's so fun to talk with you.
1: Yeah, likewise. Um, so I would love to just simply start with, you know, how did you get sick and what did you do to get out of it? What is kind of your background and health story?
2: Yeah. So like so many people, I got super interested in the special health, to- health topic because I shipwrecked on um, not knowing this. I was blindsided. It's like being a ship in the middle of the night, hitting a big boulder iceberg. It's just like, what happened? I'm so <laughs> On the couch. I can't move. I can't read or exercise or work anymore. I had to quit my career. At the time, I had been writing research grants for the um, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University and had to quit and had to have major surgery. And I didn't recover from the surgery. And it was my fatigue was so bad, I wasn't really able to read anymore. I couldn't focus. And I'd go get the mail and I'd be like, oh, I was like mentally exhausted. I just set it down and think, oh, I'll get to that later. You know, I just didn't have any juice, couldn't work, and I was stalled out. And I had been having problems with fatigue and pain for, at that point, about two and a half decades already. And had started having issues as a kid around age 12. And in retrospect, uh, it was pretty much a dietary Induced toxic illness that I had no idea was possible. I was like the nutritionist with the nutritional disorder who was clueless about what she had done to herself. <laughs> so I, I had an awakening thanks to that there, there is a one agency, a very small nonprofit who's been looking at this issue of oxalate and pain for over 25 years and has specialized in getting foods tested to know which foods that you're eating are high in oxalate and which ones are low enough to be safe and which are the really low ones. And so people could, with good information, actually proceed on a diet that steers around high oxalate foods um, successfully and actually achieve some health outcomes. So this organization is specializing in vulva pain or pelvic pain for both men and women. And they, over the years, pretty quickly discovered that it was a lot more than just pelvic pain That it was all kinds of connective tissue disorders and fibromyalgia and a lot of the weird modern stuff that plagues people that gives them pain and fatigue. So I had run into that because I had my own attack of vulva pain and I was shocked that they existed. And at the time, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. At the time, that I learned about them. I didn't know anything about oxalate. I was, uh, you know, very concerned about my brain function problem and was focused on the fact that I wasn't working. Um, so I started to learn about oxalates because of this attack of pain, but I didn't really understand them until several years later when through that one experience and through that organization, I was able to have some awareness when I was eating foods that had a lot of oxalate and when I wasn't. And I, I, Sort of accidentally discovered that when I was eating high oxalate foods, and at this time later it was kiwi every day, I developed or redeveloped an old problem of arthritis and also a lot of stiffness where I could tell. And every yoga, I was able to take yoga a couple times a week in hot room that wouldn't wreck my back. And you know, because I was fatigued and struggling, and really all I could do was drag myself to yoga and and try to figure out what's wrong with me Um, and as I was adding this kiwi to my diet I was doing some juicing with some celery in it that's another food that has enough oxalate to get you in trouble when you're doing it often enough I was getting stiffer and more and more sore and then my arthritis was coming back where the swelling in my fingers and the pain in my joints was starting to interfere with my ability to fall asleep at night and I'm laying in bed thinking, what the heck? And I suddenly a light bulb, a slow bulb, finally popped on and said to me, this kiwi, this celery experiment that I was doing at the time, is revealing to me that this arthritis. Is related to oxalate. When, see, I thought oxalate was vulva pain and pelvic pain and maybe maybe fibromyalgia, but that's just them. They don't know what they're talking about. Like, I was so skeptical that I didn't really see it in my own body until I finally did.
0: This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Cardinal WordCast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes, or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash cast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you.
1: How is there not more knowledge of oxalates um, more generally among people and, and- you know, how did you get so deeply interested in them, know to guide down this route? Because I feel like there's so many things that people try and drugs and different routes people take, especially with something like joint pain, before getting to oxalates.
2: Yeah, so... um <laughs> I personally, you know, was so crazy that I had to do this stupid oxalate diet for my arthritis because the arthritis started with me when I was 12 and got really bad in my 20s during my vegetarian and then vegan years. I was a mess. I could hardly walk up and down stairs without intense knee pain during the day. And at night, my fingers would swell up. And sometimes I didn't have the strength to barely turn the key in the lock of the door. It was bad. And during my vegan years, I was a kind of a mess. And I never connected like, oh, your vegan diet is what? Who I mean, who does that? They don't. And so, in my own body, is finally, finally able. I'm finally able to see this connection. And so, first it was all right. I got to do it for the arthritis. And then, ten days later, all of a sudden, I can read. And and I can tell I'm waking up more refreshed. I can tell I'm sleeping better. The reason I couldn't read and had no mental energy is because my brain had been waking up 29 times. Every single hour of the night. So that's like two minutes of sleep. Of course, <laughs> my brain function was down to zero. My brain was never sleeping and it, and that got better. And I was like, that was really critical because that's why I couldn't work anymore. So I'm really, my attention is really grabbed by this. And then I'm finding in a few months, my feet are better. That's a whole nother story. And, like, and then I'm finding this is better and this is better. And so the whole, net of things that were bothering me that I thought were all separate problems because that's how we think about them in Western society. We don't think about a unifying toxin basically trashing every system in your body. We think of them as separate problems. And, uh, you know, my autoimmune stuff and my thyroid was getting better and just all this stuff's getting better. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I, it was such a, like someone ripped the brain out of my head and stirred it in a blender and then tried to pour it back in. It just was exploding my mind. I had to understand where's the science? Why is this happening? Why don't I know it? I have a degree in nutrition. I've been in health promotion and public health my entire career. I was 12 when I decided I wanted to help people not be sick. And here I have made my sick self sick trying to be healthy. It's been the Swiss chard I've been growing and the sweet potatoes I've been growing and the figs I've been growing, all my nice organic produce that I fix every night, all these big plates of vegetables I've been fixing for decades have been doing me in. I wanted answers. So I spent a lot of time digging through the stacks in the library and on the electronic catalogs and I went up to NIH library and I've been digging through the research and I'm flabbergasted to see that we've known that oxalate in foods can make you sick. It's a known diagnosis that started in the mid-1800s and was still a diagnosis until about 90 years ago. And it got dropped as we got all fancy with penicillin and blood testing and all of that. And so why don't we know about this? It's insane that what I learned at Cornell was, oh, you know, oxalate will bind calcium. So, you know, don't worry about that. Just tannins do it too? And, you know, they sort of mention food anti-nutrients as two sentences per chapter here and there randomly in your textbooks. They never get handled as a lecture. They never discussed as like, here's a group project, go research this guy's and write a paper on it. You know, they, they never bring any attention to it. And I'm like, what, 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 why? And I think part of the reason is the way we've segmented the body We've left now modern researchers for the last 50-plus years. The only ones who are really focusing on oxalate is kidney researchers looking at kidney damage, chronic kidney disease, and kidney stones. And what I'm seeing in the literature is that we've known for a very long time that oxalate is the major cause of kidney stones, but we don't dare admit that because how much more funding can you get, after all, if you already know the answer?
1: And it's it's so weird to me that in... When you, when you look up conventional wisdom on oxalates, the, the two exact things you, you talked about came up. It's only worry about it if you have kidney stones and increase your calcium to, to bind the oxalate. What, right. it, why are both of those wrong?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it takes a while before the oxalate you eat gets to your kidneys. The kidneys are a point of concentration. It's kind of like the tip of the funnel, so the whole body's the funnel and the, the tip of the funnel is where oxalate leaves the body. So the kidneys are designed to release oxalate and, and have to traffic in oxalate a lot and they get a lot of wear and tear and damage and they have a only, you can only beat up a kidney with a toxic molecule like oxalate so much before you get chronic problems. But some people like myself, have a huge capacity for managing oxalate without getting kidney stones. It doesn't mean I don't have sluggish damaged kidneys, but I've never had a kidney stone. The difference being is that my kidneys can produce enough of these proteins. There's like 50 kinds of proteins that the kidneys produce that cause these occlusions in the lattice structure of a growing crystal. So just like in a diamond where there's a a goop in it, that would be a poor quality diamond. You want a diamond that's really perfect and has no occlusions. Well, a kidney stone is full of occlusions, but those of us who produce enough of these protein, you can't even build up a whole stone because of those occlusion, those proteins that prevent stone growth and because of citric acid. So if your body's excreting enough citrate, citrate prevents, again, it's another compound that prevents stones from sticking to each other or from growing. So some of us have kidneys that don't get kidney stones and other people are vulnerable to stones. It doesn't mean we don't both have a problem in oxalate, with oxalate, too much of it in our bodies.
1: Interesting. And can you talk about just getting really specific on why oxalates are harmful to the body and how they're processed in our body and, and sort of affect us in many different ways?
2: Yeah. So the effects of oxalate is is fascinating because it's probably the worst effect of oxalate at all, if we want to get to the heart of it and then we'll explode out from there, is that membranes get damaged. It's a charged molecule. Membranes are working on electromagnetic potentials and charges. So on one side of a membrane, you have a positive and the other side have a negative. And that's especially true of uh, mitochondria. Mitochondria is basically your spark plugs and your starter and your really key things that keep you going. If you don't have mitochondria that are happy, you aren't happy, you may not even be alive. And those, uh, the inner membrane in the mitochondria is a proton pump, and oxalate gets in there and it messes up those membranes and then it makes the, the enzyme systems that run on the proteins in those structures don't work anymore. So it inhibits enzyme function, it literally destroys mitochondria and cell membranes, it literally causes, um, oxidative stress that comes then looks like it's coming from the mitochondria but it's because of toxins like oxalate oxalate especially cells get leaky and start losing their nutrients which gets flushed out the immune system notices that leakiness in the cells and and recognizes that as a sign until cells are in danger. They're in harm's way and we have to come in and help them. And so that brings in immune inflammation. The inflammasome gets going. You start generating uh, constant signals that tells the immune system constantly, these cells are in trouble, these cells are in trouble. And so the, the immune system starts practicing constant onness, which becomes autoimmunity. So you get these conditions that feel like you've got all these autoimmune conditions like... Hashimoto's thyroiditis and name a thousand other ones, rheumatoid arthritis. Anything inflammatory, pain, heat, all that, that's the inflammation and oxalate can get that going and keep it going. So those are some examples that's happening down at the cellular level because the smallest molecules of oxalate, the, the individual ions and then these nanocrystals get into the body from your food. And you're also getting other forms of oxalate from your food. Some of them are these much bigger, more elaborate structures. They turn into crystals. Oxalate becomes a crystal after it's about eight pairs of molecules, becomes a seed nanocrystal, which is invisible. Nanocrystal is uber tiny. But those grow, and plants deliberately grow these crystals into these elaborate shapes that are um, impartially used as defense Uh, Crystals. These things can use as like glass weapons, glass arrows, glass toothpicks, glass. All kinds of these little oxalate crystals that are a lot like ground up shreds of glass that you end up consuming, and they have the power to penetrate mucous cells, uh, two cells deep. That's they're designed to do that. So if, if there's any bearing of your cells to these crystals in the process of chewing, swallowing, digesting. Basically, you're damaging your whole mucosal lining and contributing to permeable, permeable gut syndromes and other kind of inflammation in the gut, which increases the amount of oxalate and other toxins you absorb and decreases the amount of nutrients your, you, your body can absorb simultaneously. So it's inflammatory. It's mechanically damaging. It causes nutrient deficiencies. It starts grabbing minerals because oxalic acid is a chelator. It's a strong acid that has a charge because it drops its protons and it's looking for positive, especially a double paired positive mineral and calcium is its favorite one. So it tends to grab calcium, also will grab iron and magnesium and other nutritive minerals will get grabbed or grab, or they're the ones who's to say who's grabbing who, but those minerals hook up with oxalate and get basically converted from nutrients into toxins.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And um, just all the different types of effects people can experience. And I think um, the trying low oxalate um, information and communities on Facebook are super helpful to see just the types of relief people have experienced. Um, And just so, so folks who aren't familiar, can we talk about some of the top sources of oxalates and maybe why people in the keto community in particular should worry about oxalates.
2: Yes, because the big irony about oxalate is that some of the worst sources of oxalate are being promoted as the very healthiest foods right now. And so the keto world is in harm's way for many reasons. One is anyone who's bothering to do keto is breaking their sugar addiction because they have a real health need, overweight, diabetic, hypertension, you name it. They clearly need to do something for their health. So they're cutting way back on their carbohydrates. And instead of eating white potatoes and bread, they want substitutes. And so they're looking for non-starchy breads. And they're using things like almond flour to make these pseudo desserts and you know cookies and bread and so on. Well, almond flour and almonds and nuts in general are really high in oxalate. The almonds and peanuts, both high bioavailability bioavailability of the oxalate. So the oxalate they do have is very easily absorbed. Same with cashews and peanuts and chia seeds and poppy seeds and sesame seeds and pine nuts. All these things people think are great. Throw in a handful of pine nuts on your salad, which might be made with spinach or baby greens. It has beet greens or baby Swiss chard greens. Those are the three really bad leafy greens when it comes to oxalate is your Swiss chard, spinach, and beet greens. Well, when you buy these bag baby lettuce mixes, they almost always have little beet greens because of the pretty red stems that they have. You know, so we, if you're doing salads, which is a nice low carb food, you're very often selecting greens unawarely that are high in oxalate. And then of course, the berries are considered a low sugar fruit. So people love their blackberries and raspberries. Well, those are really high in oxalate. Um, What's another one? I guess chocolate is the other superfood. That and turmeric and and cinnamon and cumin, these spices that are said to be wonder foods, they're very high in oxalate too. So if you're making a smoothie and throwing in a healthy dose of turmeric powder or cacao, cocoa, they're all high oxalate foods. Tea is another low low carb food that's very high in oxalate. So you could do, you know, artificially sweetened iced tea all summer long and be just chowing down on oxalate and have no idea.
1: Yeah. And almonds um, and, and nuts are particularly big offenders, I think, for a lot in the keto community, having things like almond flour and making treats out of almond flour. Um, I know my fiance, for instance, when she has even a small handful of nuts, she gets itchy all over her hands and it's almost like she wakes up at night with, with uh, feeling like her hands are just tingling and itching.
2: Mm. Yep. That's one of the kinds of signs of oxalate giving you a problem is weird things like itchiness, skin problems, nerve irritation, joint irritation. And yeah, I have my client base is pretty much ex-keto people.
1: Wow. Yeah. And can you talk about, you know, just thinking about oxalates and uh, we were chatting about this a little bit of keto fest ways in which they could potentially be more harmful than vegetable oils or carbs and why and you know how they compare to those and as well as things like lectins and phytates, et cetera.
2: Yeah, so the interesting thing is that I believe based on my research of the mechanisms of how this damage is occurring and what cell organelles are, uh, what's happening like the dying mitochondria and so on, it seems to me that our high carbohydrate, high polyunsaturated, oil diet that we've had the last 30 years with the margarine, the corn oil, the soybean oil and everything, and now adding in nuts. Nuts are just one more seed oil that is also polyunsaturated. The combination of polyunsaturates, high carbs, plus high oxalate foods is deadly, absolutely killing our cells. It's killing the mitochondria. It's killing the enzymes that run energy, and it's causing us all to be dragging have uh, brain function problems, sleep function problems. And so uh, oxalate. in terms of plant chemicals and plant toxins, there's obviously many other t- chemicals and toxins that plants make. And why would somebody focus on just oxalate and not just say, well, all the plants make all these nasty chemicals. And that's because oxalate is very unique in its ability to get into your body, its ability to crystallize, its ability to hang around in the body, and and to create long-term problems. Um, There's also no way to really mitigate or offset the oxalate in the preparation step, whereas with phytates and lectins, you can do soaking and cooking at high enough heat for long enough, and you can disarm lectins, which are gigantic proteins. Eventually, with enough pressure cooking and enough days of soaking, you can really beat those proteins into submission and they're not so toxic, but that's not true with oxalate. You can't soak yourself away. You can't cook yourself away. You cannot really undo oxalate in the food except for by some degree of leaching. So some amount of boiling, you can leach out some oxalate in some moderately high oxalate foods, but it doesn't work for our favorites like spinach and almonds and all of that.
1: Yeah. Um, that's interesting, and are there other ways to to mitigate oxalates or besides just cutting out the foods, you know is, is there any cooking preparation or, or foods you can eat in combination with some of these higher oxalate foods to make it have less of an impact?
2: You can modify the amount of oxalate you absorb under the right conditions from certain foods. It's just a matter of, is that really enough of a modification to make any difference? It depends on lots of factors. It depends on the health of the GI tract, it depends on how much uh, you can cover of the oxalate. Like If you're gonna ch- try to justify a super high oxalate food like spinach, you're never going to win that argument. It's just you're not going to be able to drink enough milk, eat enough cheese, take enough calcium supplements to really save yourself from absorbing some of that oxalate, nor are you going to ever save yourself from the crystalline forms that are either forming because you're adding the calcium and creating crystals in the process of either preparing the food or digesting it, uh, nor from the crystals that are preformed in the plant. So you're still talking about eating grit, that's reactive and mechanically damaging. So if you're okay with that, if you're not the least bit concerned about mechanical damage and all that, you might be able to do some mitigation by eating a lot of calcium citrate, a lot of bones, a lot of um, cheese and milk and high calcium foods, but it would take an awful lot of attention and work and I'm not sure it's gonna work.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. And how about um, why why should folks consider tapering oxalates slowly and not um, eliminating them entirely, like we would things like grains and vegetable oils and sugar?
2: Right. It, well, ultimately, it would be nice to eliminate them entirely. The problem is, is that there's a lot going on with the body, especially if you've been recently picking out an almond bread and and cacao this and chocolate this and. If your diet's really high in oxalate because you've been doing the superfood thing, then there seems to be a response at that stage. If you jump suddenly from a high oxalate diet to a low oxalate diet, it seems like there is a sudden flushing of oxalate from the body that is like a high dose amount of now exposed oxalate that exposed to the vascular system, the cells, the kidneys and so on and creates a lot of inflammation potentially a lot of symptoms that are quite difficult, which includes a flushing of electrolytes. When they're flushing around, they seem to be causing cells leakiness that causes spilling of potassium and other electrolytes. And I have had people in the emergency room calling me from the emergency room going, oh my God, I have T-wave inversion. I'm, my heart rate's 150. I just went full carnivore a week ago or 10 days ago, and here I am in the emergency room. And so I have a lot of theories about what's going on with that. I think there it could be several things happening. One is a big sh- dramatic shift like that is changing many things. Your microbiome, your your body's been in defensive mode and now suddenly it's suddenly it changed. It's like taking the floor out. It's a sort of a trauma. It's a metabolic trauma that's so abrupt. It's like hitting a wall at high speed. And Trauma seems to be an instigator of oxalate release. The body's been carefully holding on to oxalate and suddenly its delicate system that's holding that whole thing in place that's preventing you from having a lot of symptoms suddenly gets broken. And the stuff is flying around at a dose level that makes you quite sick. And that's dangerous. With toxins, dose makes the poison. So the more that's active, actively interacting with your cells your glands, your receptor systems, your cell signaling systems, your vascular lining, your, your excretion systems. The more that's interacting, the more stress and trauma, the more death of mitochondria, the more loss of cells and mayhem, havoc is breaking loose. So we go slow because we want to come back off this dangerous cliff of being full of oxalate and overdoing our daily consumption walk it back in a slow way that does not trigger some kind of traumatic response from the body.
1: Got it. That makes sense. So would you recommend people switching from kind of a keto style eating to a carnivore, you know, if they're having that giant spinach salad every day and some dark chocolate and maybe some almonds and nuts that they just gradually reduce that and over what period of time?
2: Yeah, it's, Kind of hard to say what period of time and because we haven't done studies. and what is true is that everyone is completely unique. So there's not universal rules. depends on the relative health of the system, how much you got in your system, how well your kidneys are working, how permeable your gut is. It, it just all kinds of factors. So it's hard to say a blanket statement, but generally, we want to get to a low oxalate diet efficiently in a way that supports the body without traumatizing the body. So you want to probably just start cutting all your portions in half of the food you definitely can live without and do that for a week and then half things again and then forget spinach forever after that and forget your Swiss chard and then get off your sweet potatoes or your almonds. The The almonds, almonds, peanuts and nuts are particularly toxic and have so many other toxins in them that are so hard on the body, I would really start with the almonds and the nuts and, and phase them out gradually, uh consistently, and maybe take a month to do that if you have the patience to do it. Not everybody, when they realize how toxic this is and how many harms it's potentially having, it's mentally and emotionally difficult to keep eating stuff you know is killing you unless you're just kind of addicted to certain foods, you know, and you just want to maintain that lifestyle, then you're going to be better at taking your time or perhaps to transition over and find substitutes and start adding in more animal products, which have the nutrients that are protective. They have the fats that are helpful and protective for the nervous system. They have, you know, easily, they're generally very easy to digest and not stressful on the body. And they're zero oxalate. So it's a matter of, whether you're willing to eat more meat and come down off those almond desserts and the chocolate and everything um, consistently. And then keep going in a gradual way and try to get all the way off of them and see if you can get that low. Sometimes too low, too fast, and you get into this process of the body is basically expelling oxalate at too high a rate and you just feel bad all the time. And some people find they can keep some oxalate in their diet to – mitigate or kind of hold off that expulsion process that the body's trying to clean up. It wants to have tissue recovery. It wants to get rid of that stuff, but you can't let it move too fast because it'll make you sick.
1: Yeah. I can totally see the psychology around that wanting to just cut foods out and go full board into this health and lifestyle change. If you're excited about, you know, the possibility of eliminating oxalates, but Like you said, it just seems so critical to make sure you're not making this overly dramatic shift in this case um, because your body will swing the other way and and just release a ton of oxalate and make you feel even worse, um, which is probably very confusing for folks.
2: It is a very confusing topic. And the thing that's in most harm's way is probably your kidneys. So if you've already got kidney problems or kidney stones and now you're asking the rest of the body to release oxalate at the same time, you're going to see acidosis. You're going to see stress on the colon. The colon's going to try to help the kidneys and start excreting it. And so you have to deal with the acidosis and... Um, help the kidneys with citric acid and really have some supports at hand so that the body is in better shape to smoothly get get through the damage done. I mean, every time a cell has to encounter oxalate crystal or an oxalate molecule, it's harming that cell. And the cell has to be healthy enough to recover from the harm or else it dies. So if it's a good cell, it can generate glutathione and it can repair. But some of this damage to the mitochondria and how well they... Produce their enzymes that produce energy for us can be long standing. It's been demonstrated in the research that sometimes if you keep damaging your mitochondria long enough, you just they stay damaged.
1: Yeah, and Sally, um, I'm sure folks are wondering what what are what does your diet look like these days? What do you eat in a typical day? You know, how do you think about things like um, quantities, meal timing, all of that?
2: Well, you know, everyone's diet is a journey and um, I have followed my body from playing around with low oxalate vegetables to still seeing digestive problems and and then, you know, eliminating things that I think are bothering my gut and then getting allergy testing and confirming that, oh yeah, all these low oxalate vegetables, I'm allergic to the cabbage and the cauliflower and the this and the that And, and getting lower and lower on vegetable foods to the point where I was basically doing lemon juice multiple times a day because the citric acid in lemon juice prevents uh, oxalate stones from growing and helps them break up and dissolve. It's very protective for the kidneys and it's a great way to get rid of kidney stones. So basically oxalate poisoning is kidney stones distributed wherever they wanna be distributed in your particular body. I'm not a kidney stone person, but I, I know I had them in my thyroid gland and my joints and et cetera. So I was down to basically lemon juice, Meats, milk, cream, butter, some seasonings and a lot of different kinds of coconut products like young, uh, fresh young coconuts and their coconut water. That's another source of citric acid and potassium, which is super needed on this program. So I was down to, you know, almost carnivore for a long time. And then in April 1st, I tried a full carnivore diet because I was starting to see carnivore clients and realizing this is something I want to know more about. And I played with that and now I'm back coming out of carnivore and seeing that my metabolism is damaged enough that I can't stay zero carb. I get leg cramps and other issues. So I'm now experimenting with adding in 50 to 100 grams of carbs at least four nights a week with either an early dinner or an after dinner treat. And um playing around with that just because I think my I do have metabolic damage that makes it difficult for me to produce enough muscle glycogen and so I'm I'm still figuring out my diet but basically me I eat two meals a day often it's about 10 ounces of meat per meal because I've I really do enjoy the carnivore diet and then I'm adding in some mango or rice or something with maple syrup or so trying to come up with some carbs that my body likes for the evening for better sleep and no leg cramps and better brain
1: yeah sounds sounds like you found what's working for you and um a healthy alternative to you know eating a lot of the most damaging plant foods um and still emphasizing animal protein and, and animal fats which is great
2: yeah, I'm really it's pretty amazing. I mean really not eating many plant foods at all. And at most average people just think that's really bizarre and unhealthy, but I happen to feel and look as healthy as I've ever been. <laughs> so, you know, oxalate will bring you into a world that feels completely inside out compared to what the what people have been led to believe. Which makes this sound sort of weird.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, and Sally, where can people learn more about oxalates? What kind of resources do you recommend?
2: Well, um, that's a really good question. I wrote two articles about oxalate and have them posted to my website and you can find those on my website under the support tab. If you go into the shop tab, there's several free resources in the shop tab and a couple of small paid resources in there. That's a great place to start. My website, which is sallyknorton.com, that's sallyknorton.com, that website has got a lot of free information, a lot of tabs, many blog posts. There, you could spend several days on there reading around. You can look me up on YouTube and you'll see lots of different podcasts. You'll see a talk that I did in 2017 that is pretty popular. That was for the Ancestral Health Symposium uh, in 2017. And I wrote an article that was the follow-on to that, and that's one of those free articles. It's called Lost Seasonality and Overconsumption of Plants Risking Oxalate Toxicity. So that, if you're a science geek and you want to see some of the science behind this, that's a pretty quick ride through some of the science. It's about 200 references, and there's many more. There's thousands of references about oxalate. If you want to look at the science, I would start there. Plus, there's uh, Susan Owen's work. She's done great things with the trying low oxalate group, and she's been. She was really the one who noticed through the autistic families and children she was working with that the body releases oxalate when you quit eating it, and it's obvious, and you can see these symptoms show up. And they started collecting the stories, and since then they've they've had their Facebook group and their Yahoo group and online communities sharing these stories with tens of thousands. There's probably 20,000 people right now who are familiar with it, get on there now and then, share stories. They have kind of crowdsourced this understanding about how when you quit eating oxalates, it starts coming out. And the process of it coming out can be horrible. It can be... (laughs) it can get you feeling quite sick and you'll see how sick these people are if you get on mine. And they, um, it goes on and on and on and on because it takes a long time to clean out all these deposits from tissues that aren't going to turn over every day. And that's good that it takes a while because if it was all coming out at one time, you'd probably literally die. Um, But it is, at least a seven-year process, probably more of a 10-year process to get the body to clean out from oxalate. So you'll see that on those groups. So They're a great resource. And, of course, the, the um, Volvar Pain Foundation, which has been around for 25 years, they're the original source, and they've produced newsletters for 25 years. And tucked inside their newsletters is a lot of gems of things that they've figured out over the years. Much of it is still true today.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting and, and definitely a lot to dig into there, and I'm sure folks will be curious, so I'll link to that in the show notes. And one thing I forgot to ask earlier, Sally, um, which pertains more to people on a carnivore diet, a lot of folks are t- are taking in a lot of collagen um, in the form of collagen powders. Um, have you seen evidence that those contain a high level of oxalates? Some people have, have claimed that.
2: Yeah, well, it's not that they contain oxalate. It's that in metabolic processes in the body,
1: especially if the if you're
2: deficient in in B vitamins, the there's pathways that turn um, glycine and and hydroxyproline. Some amount of that, maybe it's only one percent. Maybe if your enzymes are really struggling or really deficient, it's five or ten percent. But some percentage of the glycine, these are the proteins in gelatin, turn into oxalate in your metabolism. And the body can convert it back and forth into glycine and oxalate if it's healthy. But if they have shown over and over again in studies both with animals and with people, you give enough gelatin and you can create an oxalate problem in a body, whether it's a rat or a person. So it looks like about seven grams of gelatin, which is like a tablespoon, per day is more than enough. If you get past that, you're going to just create oxalate in the body, and that's not what the point is. <laughs> so also, when connective tissues themselves, you're made of gelatin, all your connective tissues have some degree of glycine in these gelatin amino acids. As they break down, they can also be turned into oxalate, so you don't want to do anything that breaks down your connective tissue too much. Um, so there's there's more technologies there for how to slow the, that part down, but when it comes to bone broth and um, collagen supplements, I would stick with a cup to a cup and a quarter a day and not exceed that and not get too overblown on the collagen supplements
1: yeah that's why i, I personally switched to supplementing glycine um, to get because to get the levels of glycine, I kind of want to support um, better sleep and better gut health and blood sugar control. Um, and but balancing the amount of methionine I'm eating through meat, um, it really has to be a lot more bone broth or collagen than that. Um, and so I, I feel glycine is is a healthy and more sustainable way to increase that amount. Just having the direct supplementation.
2: Well, I have to look up and see if glycine supplementation turns into oxalate in the body because it is glycine is the one that gets converted into oxalate. So. Yeah, so I don't know that anyone. I mean, I think mostly I'd have to go back and look, but I think the studies I think it was John Knight who did this a lot of these studies that I'm recalling in a vague way. I think they used collagen or gelatin to induce the oxalate production in the body, but we can look and see if they just give pure glycine and and that happens. So again, this is the same thing we get onto with the almonds or the pomegranate or the all the super, you know, the turmeric, like, oh, it's supposed to be good for you. So why not buy a gallon of it and start putting a cup of it in your smoothie every day? Like, you know, we always want to overdo and add, 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 and become super people. In the meantime, we're decaying our health in the effort to get healthy. So we got to get our heads around less is better, undoing is good, not having is good. Like minimalization let's get simpler let's look at elimination and the minimal effective dose and not like a little extra you know how you want to get like the baker's dozen instead of getting a dozen donuts you're going to get 13 donuts because that's a better deal we always want to round the teaspoon and have it overflowing that's so western mindset so america like more is better but it's not
1: yeah yeah Completely agree, it's a great point. And um, Sally, what are your kind of goals and mission going forward with this work and, and other things you're pushing on generally?
2: Yeah, well, I've been, I've spent several years now working with clients so that I understand the clinical picture more and have more clinical experience in terms of what's working for people and not. So I'm continuing to work with people. I'm writing a book and um, putting out another call for uh, publishers to take a look at my book proposals. And I think that's, we're very close to something there. So hopefully by. Certainly by spring of 2021, there will be the best book there ever was about oxalate coming out. Yeah, and I'm going to start doing some more stuff online with group group stuff with my clients, group programming, and start playing around with that some more too and have some programs maybe that you can get to on my website because, of course, as one person, I can't keep doing one-on-one work and reach where you and everyone else in the keto and carnivore world is starting to recognize oxalate, which is a great opportunity because here again we have a mass crowdsourced learning process going on and that's becoming like the hundredth monkey phenomenon where suddenly oxalate will become a word like now gluten is a word gluten was not a word 20 years ago yeah (laughs) it is leaky gut was not a thing 15 years ago but now it is and oxalate is about to pop and so i need to find ways to reach more people um and we'll be developing materials to do
1: that that's great. And where can folks find out more about you? I'll link to everything in the show notes at carnivorecast.com, but um, let them know where they can find you.
2: Yeah. So besides my website, which is sallyknorton.com, I've been having a good time playing around with Instagram. There's a lot of good discussions happening on those posts on Instagram, which is sally, no, Instagram is S K Norton. Uh, I do a little bit on LinkedIn and a little bit on Twitter and a little bit on Facebook, but right now it's mostly my website
1: and Instagram great I'll provide links to those and really appreciate you coming on today Sally it's been a pleasure to chat with you and I think folks will get a ton of value out of this
2: oh I hope so thanks so much for wanting to talk about oxalate it's such a cool topic that this that is really amazing and it's pretty simple once you figure out what not to eat and it's cheap it's awesome yeah it's fun
0: thank you Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.